We have been in the book of Hebrews now, believe it or not, some of you are like, you're going to say it feels even longer, but we have been in the book of Hebrews for 16 weeks now. And uh, some of you are like, well, it feels more like 72. You know, I don't know. Uh, for me, I've really been enjoying it. It's been very, uh, very encouraging to me. They're, they're, the book of Hebrews has, especially in the first part, a lot of very strong warnings that we have to pay attention to that I need to hear constantly need to be reminded about and then and then uh, uh, the later part gets a little bit different tone well last week we started Hebrews chapter 11 and and we we defined last week what faith is the the Bible just comes out and straight out defines what faith is and last week one of the things we said that sound doesn't sound right when you first hear it we said that a foundational element of faith is discontentment and, and I know that that just doesn't sound right in church because we're supposed to say that, that, that we're all supposed to be content and we're supposed to be contented. And that's true in certain areas that we're to be content with the things that we have and that sort of thing. But when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, we're never to be content. We're never to sit back and say, that's enough. I don't need any more of Jesus. I've got enough. I, I'm content with, with the walk that I have with him. Uh, that there's something more out there. But that discontentment is the thing that leads us toward health and leads us toward healing. And, 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 and here's, here's where we get that. We, we get that, that because faith, as we're told in Hebrews 11, is the assurance of things hoped for. If you have hope, you, your current reality is not what you want it to be. Therefore, you possess hope. For example, if you're hoping that one day your marriage will be a certain way, that means that currently it is not where you would like it to be. So you're hoping for something more, hoping for something greater. Uh, and, and if you're hoping to one day to have more money, anybody say amen to that? Uh, if you're ever hoping to have more money, that means that you're currently discontent with the amount of money that you have. So the foundational element of faith is discontentment because without discontentment, there is no hope because you can never hope for something that you don't long for. Does that make sense? And, and, and faith is the assurance of those things for which we hope. There, there is no faith without discontentment. It is the thing that stirs us. Now, this creates all kinds of holes in modern day evangelical thought because if this is true, then one of the most horrible and horrifying things that could ever happen to us is for us to be contented. If discontentment leads to faith, and if you're perfect, perfectly content living the life of a cultured pet, then you're gonna, never going to pursue faith or anything more. Discontentment is foundational faith, and that discontentment leads us into pressing into God. So faith leads us into drawing near to God. That, that discontentment leads us into knowing and walking with Jesus. And there in that relationship with Jesus, we find assurance that what we hope for can actually be answered in Christ. And, and, and we talked about that. If you can go back and watch last week's messages on our website, restorationlifechurch.tv. Then, then we talked about the fact that faith takes the sting of death away from us so that death no longer is an enemy to us, but actually becomes more like a friend to us. The, through faith, death becomes Nothing more than the consummation of fulfilling the purposes of God with our lives. And then last of all, but, 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 but my favorite part of all from last week's message, we talked about how faith frees us up to follow the absurd. Like when, like when Noah built a boat 500 miles from the ocean, a thousand times bigger than, than he needed for his family, and he started filling it with animals, all because God told him to. That's absurd. Faith frees us up to pursue the absurd when we hear God talking to us. And, and now from there, the, the author of Hebrews begins to outline uh, kind of a who's who in the history of faith in God, specifically in the Old Testament history. In fact, this chapter is often called the Hall of Fame of Faith. And I, I want to look at, at these stories and then I, I want to, to show you the characteristics of faith and then we're going to move on from there and actually going to get into Hebrews chapter 12 just a little bit. So... I want to warn you right now, we're going to read a lot of scripture today. And so just follow along with me. Hebrews 11, we're going to start in verse 8. We're going, to, we're going to finish out the whole chapter. We're going to read the whole chapter all the way to verse 40. So here we go. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called 
to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and, and him as good as dead, which by the way, some, some uh, theologians like to say, well, they lived longer, so it was no big deal. But listen, when the Bible says he was good as dead, that's old. All right? He says, uh, uh, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable, innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now listen to verse 13. This verse is, is, is very difficult. And we're going to spend some time unpacking it shortly. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but, ha but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it was, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By the way, do we know another son that was only son that was raised from the dead? Yeah, so once again, here's this idea of, of shadows and pictures that God, God is always painting pictures on creation, he's always revealing himself and revealing his ways through, through other things. Let's keep reading. Verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Let me tell you why that one's so, so huge, because Joseph was alive around 300 years before the Exodus. You talk about foresight. I mean, he's going, all right, I'm going to die now. And a few hundred years from now, we're, going to be, we're all going to be getting out of here. And we're going to be going to a land of our own. I don't, want, I don't want to be buried in Egypt, so dig up my bones and bury me in the promised land. Verse 22. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the, sons, the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I save? For time would fail me to tell me to tell uh, uh, to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith listen to all these things conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And now, now the text is going to take a little bit of a turn because by, up to this now, by faith, all of these glorious things have happened. Now, by faith, sorrow and hardship. Some were tortured, refusing to, be, uh, to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in, sheep's, uh, in skins of sheep and goat, goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, 
of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Okay, now there are three things that we see here in this text that are connected to faith. And the first one is simply this. Faith, by definition, always anticipates a better day. Faith, faith has somehow seen into the future and believes that that future is actually coming. That's what we, what we walk by in this place. We, we look into the future and by faith we see this church being filled up with people who are seeking God. By faith we see people who are far from God coming to know Jesus. By faith we see this church making an impact for the kingdom, not just here locally, but all around the world. Faith has somehow seen the future and believes that that future is coming. And without the anticipation that there is something better, faith does not exist. Because that is, by definition, what faith is. Faith anticipates that the promises of Christ will come true no matter how long we have to fight for them and no matter how long we have to wait for them. This is one reason why it's so important for us to be in the Scriptures because it's in the Scriptures that you find the promises of God and, it's, and that is what creates in us a sense of anticipation that God will accomplish what He says He will accomplish. If you don't know what the Word of God says, you won't have any anticipation that what He said in His Word He will do. Doesn't that make sense? When you, when you don't know what God has said He's, he's going to do in you, then what, what happens is your only alternative is to get stuck in faulty religion Always, almost always based on external rules, hoping to somehow obtain something that you can't even really name what you're trying to, to obtain. By being in the Scriptures, we see the promises of God, and then we begin to hope for them. There's this anticipation that is birthed within us through this faith. But faith not only anticipates, I like this one, faith always moves. Faith acts. Faith is, is not stagnant at all. Let, let, me, let me say it like this. I think you'll understand this. Faith never twiddles its thumbs. You, how many of you heard that phrase before? It's been a long time since I've used it. Faith doesn't do that. Faith doesn't say, well, you know, God's going to take care of this, so I'm just going to sit back and do nothing and wait for this to happen. That is not what faith does. Unless, of course, God says to you, sit down, be quiet, and do nothing, then you're acting in faith because you're actually moving on what he said to do. But most of the time, that's not what happens. Let, let me show what I mean by here. Probably the best place we see it is verse 32. And we read this. I pointed this out. I, I said, listen to these, these action words. He said, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, uh, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, listen to these things. They, these are action words. Conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Now let me just ask you, ask you this. How do you think that happened? How do you think that happened? Do you think they just sat down and said, well, God's going to conquer this kingdom. Go get him, God. I'll just sit back here and wait. You think that's what happened? No. In fact, remember what we said last week, and we already mentioned it again this morning, faith frees us up to follow the absurd. See, that was, the, and, and is there, when it comes to conquering kingdoms and that sort of thing, is there any more absurd story in all of Scripture than the battle of Jericho? Right? I mean, here's what happens. The, the Scriptures, by the way, are very clear that among Israel there was not one sword, there were no fighting men, they, 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 they had never been trained in that. They didn't have the weapons because they had been slaves for, for hundreds of years. So Joshua, and this always gets me, in his first act as the leader of Israel, because as they're crossing the Jordan, as they're, as they're going to begin taking the promised land, Jericho is the first place they go. Moses is not allowed to enter the promised land because he, because he disobeyed God in the wilderness. And so Joseph, or J, uh, Joshua, let me get the right name, a lot of J's in there. 
But Joshua is now the new leader of Israel. This is his first big moment. So he, in his first act as the leader of Israel, goes in and he convenes with God about how they were going to defeat this great, impenetrable, walled city of Jericho. And God sits down with him and he talks with him and God says, listen, I have a question. Do you have a marching band? Do you, do you have a, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan. Walk around the city for, for seven days and on the seventh day, march around it seven times, blow, blow the horns and, 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 and take the place. And, and here's, here's the part that gets me. I think about it. Joshua coming out to the people of Israel after meeting with God and he's got to sell this idea. Yeah, it's like, he's like, I'm just, I just picture him saying, now listen. I, I know Moses has died and I'm the new guy, but here's the plan. Uh, I, I want the band. You, you play the flute, you're in. Come up here. You're, you're in this. Uh, I need you guys to march across uh, the Jordan. I want you to march around in a circle around the city. And, and here's the craziest thing of all. They do it. They do it. I mean, it's, it's an absurd, absurd, absurd battle plan. And by faith, they move on it. It's just a great, great story. It's a picture to us of the fact that faith always moves. Faith moves. It is not static. It does not terminate on itself. It moves. It grows. It shakes. It fires off. It does something. It doesn't just sit there and say, oh, I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. And I'll just believe. That is not what faith is. Faith always uh, takes wings. It always acts. It always does something. Because when faith, by faith, when God speaks to you and says, I'm going to do this in your life, or I'm going to do this in your family, or I'm going to do this in your finances, or whatever it might be, he doesn't mean for you to say, well, I'm just going to sit back and believe that. He means for you to then begin to talk to that family member because he's going to do something in that family member. He means for you to begin to do what you can do and be faithful in your finances and take act, action on that because then he's going to multiply what you can do. He's going to move. But he waits for us to move. Faith always moves. If faith moves, or frankly, it's not faith. It's not. Faith is not static. It is moving. That's how faith works. If there's faith, there's movement. You're doing something. You're acting on it. It's, you know, we talk so much here about making this a safe place to handle our issues and handle our junk, to deal with our past, whatever it is. Here's the thing. If you know you have issues and all you do is keep coming here week after week, but you, but you never move on it, then you don't have faith. You have something else. You, you've, you've just got church. You don't have faith because faith moves. Faith says Christ can heal me and he commands me to confess. I'm confessing because I have faith that by be, being obedient to Christ, I will be healed. That's how faith works. Instead, what we do, we usually say, well, I believe Christ can heal me. He's asked me to confess, but I'm not going to do it. Well, why? Why wouldn't you? Well, you know, it's, it's just sort of embarrassing. Okay, well, let's peel that back. Why won't you? Well, it's because I have pride. Okay, peel that back. What's underneath that? Well, I don't know that he really can heal me because underneath it all, it's a lack of faith. That's why we don't move. If you have faith, you move because faith moves. You know, listen, this is the entire James chapter 2 debate. Keep, keep your finger here in chapter 11 because we're coming back. But flip over a couple pages to James chapter 2. I, 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 don't know, I don't know what you know about Christian history, but many of the reformers, you know, right after Martin Luther's day, hated James chapter 2. In fact, Luther called the book of James the epistle of straw. He said it's the epistle of straw and we should burn it. Now, I feel strange saying this, but I think Luther read it wrong. It feels weird for me to say that because when talking about Martin Luther and then there's me and there's a discrepancy in intellect there and I'm on the losing end. Okay, I'll be the first to admit that. But I want you to read this with me because what's going to happen here is that faith and works are almost used interchangeably. Not that they're the same thing, but that but they work together if there's faith, there's movement. Uh, watch this, starting in verse 14, James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? 
If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Okay, so let, let's unpack this. Think of it like this. If I had a skeleton hanging from a hookup, like how many of you had like in your biology class in high school, you, did you have the skeleton hanging on a hook in your, in your classroom there? Let me ask you this question. If, the, if we had that skeleton hanging on a hook here, is that skeleton, even if it was real human bones, is that skeleton a human being? No, it's not because the human being has long since died. Now you just have its bones. What he's saying here is that faith without works is not faith because that faith is dead. All you've got is the bones of your faith. The faith has died. Faith does not exist if there are no works with it. Now, I'm not talking about, uh, about faith, that saving faith, you know. I mean, even with saving faith, you have to act on it. You have to, you have to put your trust in Christ. There's got to be something there. But, but faith does not exist where there are no works. But I want you to notice that it puts faith first because works do not bring faith. If you get that confused, you're going to go back to the tabernacle as we've talked about in the recent weeks and God's not accepting any more sacrifices in the tabernacle. That's what Hebrews says. So you've got to be careful. Faith creates works is what I'm saying. But works never create faith. But if I have faith, it's going to give birth to action in my life. You got it backwards if, if you're living, thinking, walking the, the, the uh, thinking that somehow your works are going to create faith in you. So, so this is the same argument here that faith without works is dead. Faith creates movement. Faith creates action. Where there is no movement, where there is no action, there is no faith. All right? So faith anticipates. Faith moves. And here's the third one. And this one is a hard one or at least an uncomfortable one in many situations. And that is, faith always perseveres. Faith always perseveres. And let me show you why this is hard. Go back to Hebrews chapter 11. This is going to be hard on us because we, we, we've had a lot of preaching in our current society that makes you believe that the cross is all about you. That's the way we... And so it makes this really hard to hear. Now listen, Jesus loves you very, very, very much, but the cross was way more about way more than just being about you. The cross is about the glory of God. And your salvation brings glory to God. Ultimately, that's what it's about. But it's hard for us to say that because in our culture, everything is about us, right? Isn't that true? I mean, you, if you watch the commercial lately, uh, every commercial is about you deserve this. You need this. You won't be complete with this. You know, if it's, if it's uh, you know, targeted at teenage boys, it'll be like, if you use this fragrance, all the girls will want you. You know, I mean, it's always about me, me, me. But, but verse 13, let's read it. It's, it. Faith perseveres. These all died in faith, not having the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. That's a very, very interesting verse. Then skip down to verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Okay. You and I find ourselves caught up in a story that began long before us and will play out long after us if Christ tarries. You and I, honestly, on God's timeline, in, the, in, in, in uh, comparison to eternity, on God's timeline, you and I are like, at most, a two-second blip on the screen. Our lifetime is so short. So that our lives serve the purposes of God. The big picture is the purposes of God, not my lifetime. You see what I'm saying? The focus is not me. The focus is not my life. The focus is the purpose of God. What is he trying to do throughout history? And our lives serve the purposes of God in our generation. And, it's, and we serve the purposes of God for the next generation. 
We, we find ourselves caught up in the whole of the story and we serve God's purpose for the next part of the story. Faith perseveres, even if it doesn't see what the hope that it longs for ever become a reality. That's what it says here. These men, it says they, they all died in faith, not having received the things promised. They didn't get to see Jesus come. They didn't get to see salvation offered. They didn't get to see all of these things that they talked about, that they foresaw in their faith, that they hoped for. They never saw it, and yet they never gave up. Their faith persevered. You know, I read about a man who just loved to hunt, and uh, he bought two setter pups that were top-notch bird dogs, and he kept them in his backyard, and, and he trained them back there. One, one morning, a, a, an, an ornery, little, vicious-looking bulldog came shuffling and snorting down the alley, and it, it was easy to see that this bulldog meant business. Well, the evangelist's first impulse was to take his setters and lock them in the basement so, so they wouldn't tear up that little bulldog. But he decided he would just let that creature learn a lesson he would never forget. Figured maybe that'll keep him from coming back. Well, as, as it went, they, they got in a scuffle and, in the backyard and, and these, these two setters and that bulldog just went round and round and round and round and the, the, the little critter eventually finally had enough and so he squeezed under the fence and took off and the rest of the day he just sort of whined and licked his wounds. Well, the next day, about the same time, here came that same ornery little bulldog back under the fence and, and after those two setters. Once again, those two, those two bigger dogs just, just sort of beat the stuffing out of that little bow-legged animal, and they would have cheated, chewed him up if, if he hadn't retreated back down the alley. Would, would you believe it, though, that the very next day he was back? For those of you who are old enough, old enough same bat time, same bat station, same bat results. Once again, after the bulldog had had all he could take, he crawled back under the fence, found his way home to lick his wounds. Well, listen, this went on for weeks. Every day at the same time, every morning, that little bulldog came into the backyard and fought with those two setters. He didn't miss a single day. And eventually it came to the point that when those two setters just simply heard that bulldog snorting down the alley and spotted him squeezing under the fence, that they immediately started whining and ran down in the basement. And that, and that little old bulldog would just, just strut around the backyard like he owned it. Faith means that you keep fighting even when it seems like you will never win. That's what they did. They never saw the promises that they hoped for, but they never gave up. They kept believing. They kept their faith in God. They kept moving forward. They kept doing whatever they could. We persevere in faith because we know the victory will come whether it's in this lifetime or not. Let me explain it like this. You know, I've been following Jesus wholeheartedly for 43 years now. I know, I know. I look much younger than that. Um, but I, 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 listen, I turned, attended church my whole life, but it's been 43 years since I sold out to Jesus. And, and you, know, you know what? I, I've experienced a lot of freedom from my own junk over the years. But let me be completely honest with you. Sometimes I still have to wrestle with it. See, see I refuse. I've told you this before. I refuse to wear the cape and pretend to be super pastor. You know, I, I tried that before and it doesn't work. I found out that when I got, when I got shot in the chest, it bled. it bled. It hurt. When I got stabbed in the back, it still hurt. So let me use my story to try to unpack what this is saying. Because there are times when I still have to struggle with the issues from the past. But what if, what if I have to struggle with and fight these things for the rest of my life? What if I never get fully whole, but because I fought for, for these things, my kids do? What if I have to wrestle with the dark things in, in my life, inside of me for the rest of my life, but because I'm willing to wrestle with them now, my daughters don't have to deal with them. Healing will be mine on this side or the next, one way or the other. I'm going to be healed. 
But what if my lot is to struggle and to wrestle and to hurt so that there would be a new generation of the Hoskins family born with a brand new legacy? I'm okay with that. If I have to wrestle for the rest of my life, but my daughters find freedom because I was willing to wrestle, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Faith perseveres. Faith clings to the fact that we have not been abandoned and we will never be abandoned. Faith perseveres even when it doesn't see the answer that it hopes for. It sees the promises out in the future and hopes for them. But even if it doesn't see it in its lifetime, it still never gives up. Now, now let's go on into Hebrews chapter 12. Because, and let me say this to you. Hebrews 12 does not make any sense at all without Hebrews 11. You cannot read Hebrews 12 and leave out chapter 11. It doesn't make any sense without that. So let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. He's, who's he talking about? He's talking about all of those people that were just mentioned in, in Hebrews chapter 11. That's the great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us. All right, here's what happened. He lists all of these, this great lineage of faith in Hebrews 11. He says th this. He says there was Abel and there was Enoch and there was Noah and there was David and there was Abraham and there was Isaac and Joseph and Jacob and all these men. And then what he does in Hebrews chapter 12, he turns to us and he says, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. It's our run. You, you and I are here because of the blood and the faith of the generations before us. And now it's our turn. It's, it's our time on earth. This is our 40-year block of time for ministry. This is our race. So let us run our race now. He, he includes us in this with this unbelievable group of people. And he says, now it's your turn. He says, these men, these women, they ran well. They were faithful, which by the way, faithful means full of faith. Why are you faithful? It's because you have faith. And he says, and now it's your turn. Since we're surrounded by these great men and women who have been so faithful, since they cry out to you from the grave, he says, let us. Now, now we can finish that, that, that passage since it is our 40 years, since this is our time, this is our moment, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now, according to the text here, there are things that, that what, what I read here, there are things that are not innately sinful that weigh you down and get in the way of running the race. So there are two things we're told specifically that we have to throw aside. We have to throw aside morally neutral things that you wouldn't say are sinful at all, but they're slowing us down in our walk with Jesus. And the second thing is, it should be obvious, we have to throw aside sin. He said, let us throw aside, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So that means that, that there can be things in your life that are not necessarily sinful. You couldn't look at them and say, the Bible says I shouldn't do that, but they are a hindrance to God's fullness in your life. There, there are things in our lives that get in the way of running the race and, 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 and the, 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 they rob us. We, remember we talked about, about uh, pursuing those things that, 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 that feed our affection for Christ and we, and we forsake those things that rob us of our affection. We're talking about things that rob us of our affections for Jesus. And they cause us to run the race that God has set before us with less than our best effort. It just simply weighs you down. And here's the thing. I don't know what that is for you. For some people, it might be too much television. For some people, it might be the pursuit of money. I don't know what it is for you, but there's something. If, if there's anything in your life that slows you down and keeps you from pursuing God, that's the thing you have to throw aside. We have to cast aside anything that is sinful, but we also have to get rid of anything that is slowing us down in our pursuit of Jesus, even if it's not sinful. All right, let's go on. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance 
the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He says, first, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Listen, by beholding Jesus, we're transformed into His image. We tend to become like that upon which we fasten our attention. Have you ever known somebody that had a, just a real jerk of a father? They were abusive. Maybe they abused their, their, their spouse and they were, they were abusive to their children. And, and they grew up in their lives focusing on their dad saying, I will not be like my dad. I will not be like my dad. I will not be like my dad. And many, many times, you know what happens? Because they've been focusing on that person their whole life, guess what? They become like their dad. We tend to become like that upon which we focus our gaze. You have to catch this. By beholding Jesus, we're transformed into His image. Too many of us think that if we're transformed into His image then we'll behold Him. As a result, we get caught up in work-based theology that gets us no closer to Jesus. And all that does, all that works-based theology does is clean up our outside, but the inside remains broken and in bondage to sin. And we become just like the Pharisees that Jesus said to the Pharisees. He said, he said you're all a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but inside you're full of nothing but death and decay. You know, the old hymnist said it very well. And if you've been in church for very long at all, you'll know the song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. Anybody? Anybody with me? You remember this? And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. That's what he's talking about in 2 Corinthians. That's what the writer of Hebrews. We behold and then we become. We don't become and then behold. That's backwards. You know, I want, to, I want to close today by just telling you, I dream sometimes about what it would be like to sit down with some of you, I don't know, 20 years from now. The older I get, maybe we'll shorten it to 10 years from now. <laughs> Set our goal a little more reachable. Just to sit sometime down the road and talk about the things that Jesus did. To sit with one of you 10, 15, 20 years from now and be able to look back and say, hey, man, do you remember, you remember so-and-so? You remember how, what God did in their life? Hey, you remember, remember old Sam? Remember how God set him free from addiction and all the things? Where is he now? Oh, he's in the ministry. To be able to sit back and look back on these things and, 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 and talk about what Jesus did. I, I, I just wonder what our 40 years will be marked by. See, the, the reason I love this text is because it says, let us and we. And that's talking about us, you, you, you and me here now. It's talking about the fact that, that you, you and I have been placed here by God for God. That this is our season. Let us run our race with perseverance. You know, for, for whatever reason, you and I have been sewn together to run this race together. So here, here we are, you and me, Marion, Arkansas. What will we do with our lives? What, what will, what will we, will we, on what will we spend our money? What are we going to invest in? What's, what's our line going to say? Noah 
by faith built, built his boat. Abel, by faith, offered his sacrifice. Abraham, by faith, just got up and left. He didn't even know where he was going. Joseph, by faith, said, in a couple hundred years, you're getting out of here. Take my bones with you when you go and bury, me, bury them in the promised land. Question is, what, what will they write about us? You know, there's this really, really intriguing passage in Revelation that says in heaven that they will sing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. And, and, and I read that and I was just really intrigued, you know, that they'd be singing the song of Moses. I mean, why, why are they talking about other people in heaven? I just thought we'd always just always be talking about Jesus, right? But I, th I think what's happening is that these Men get up in, in the presence of God and, and Moses, Moses just says, you know what? I was just minding my own business in the, in the desert trying to take care of my father-in-law's sheep. And, and I met God and he told me that, that I was going to go set his people free from the most powerful nation on earth. And, and I said, I can't. But he said that he could. And here's how he saved us. Then maybe after he's done, Noah stands up and he says, I was minding my own business and, and God said, hey, I want you to build this boat a thousand times too big for you and, 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 a, and 500 miles from the ocean and I want you to begin to stock it with animals. And, he's, and, 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 and Noah's like, but I, but I live 500 miles from the ocean. He says, I know, I know, build the boat. And so I built the boat and sure enough, it started to rain and, and it flooded and here's how God delivered us. Here's how he saved us. And maybe somebody else, like Gideon, maybe Gideon stands up and says, you know, I, I was just minding my own business, threshing wheat in a wine press. And God said, I want you to be a mighty warrior and deliver my people from the oppression of the Midianites. I said, I can't. I, I'm a nobody. I'm the, I'm the least from the least family in the least tribe of Israel. I can't. I'm a nobody. And he said, he said that he could. Here's, here's how he delivered us. And I think at the end of those stories, every time that the applause of heaven will erupt with the, with the millions of us who are his children as we hear about the mighty working hand of God and the deliverance that he brought and the miracles that he did and all the stories, they're going to be Moses' story and Abel's story and Gideon's story and, and Noah's story, but they're all going to be about the glory of God and what he did. And, and I wonder... I wonder what we'll say when it's our turn. And that's going to be answered by how we choose to spend our lives. I wonder how we'll spend our lives. I wonder what the story of our lives will be. I wonder what 20 years from now we could sit down and say, look what God did because we were willing to follow the absurd. How will we, how will we bring glory to Jesus' name? Therefore, since faith anticipates, since it moves, and since it always perseveres, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and there are so many more than just what are listed there in Hebrews 11. Many of you know great men and women of God who have gone on before us, who are standing there, and the picture is almost like a great stadium full of these people who have gone on before. And as we're running our race, they're all standing up in the, on the, in the, in the crowd, shouting and cheering us on, saying, Come on, keep going, keep going, you can do it. God's going to use you, God's going to do something. We can see the finish line even though you can't. Come on, keep going, keep going, keep going. So let's throw off everything that hinders. Let's get rid of the sin that so easily entangles us. And let's run this race that he has marked out for us. He wants to do great things because he's a great God. The question is, will we have faith to move with him. What will our lives say? What will we say when it's our turn to tell of this, the story of what God's done in our lives? The answer comes with how we choose to live now. Would you bow your head? Let's pray together. Father, Lord, this just message just burns in my heart 
Because God, we so easily waste our time. I know I do. So many things, so many distractions. So many important things that call for our attention. I should say so many urgent things that pull us away from what's really important. God, this just burns in my heart because I know that you have something that you want to do in us and through us. But God, I pray that you would help us to have the faith to see even a glimpse of what you want. And God, that we will move with you toward that. Lord, when the, when the time comes, when, when maybe it's my turn to stand up and say, this is what God has done in my life, Lord, I, I don't want to have to stand there and say that I had something left to give, but I, that I held something in reserve. But Lord, I want to be able to say, Lord, I have nothing left to offer because I gave it to you already. Lord, I pray that you would stir something in us because God, right now, I just feel that you're stirring something in us, helping us to see that there is something more than just church attendance. There is something more than just what we have known in our relationship with you, that there is something greater that you want to accomplish, that you want us to run this race that is marked out with us, and, and that you have now included us in the story that, uh, of this eternal timeline of what you have done through the lives of men and women of God. And, and God, as we see this, and you're stirring this, and I pray, God, that you would just help that discontentment to begin to fuel the faith to say, I know there's something more, and I, I believe that he wants to do it, and so I'm going to move with him and Lord part of that movement may be that we get back into the word because we've we can't know we can't hope for your promises that we don't know part of that move, move may be getting into a small group part of that move may be going to men's or women's ministry tonight and 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 opening up and talking Lord part of that move may be getting rid of things that that distract us and 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 steal and rob us of our affections from you and even though they're not sinful but God that that we'd have the the courage and the strength to be able to lay those things inside aside and say no I want Jesus more even though that's a good thing I want something more because he's better and that we'd have the strength and the courage to deal with the sin things that we think are hidden they're only hidden from men because we all stand naked before you God I pray when you say to us I want you to deal with this I want you to get into a small group I want you to be honest about what you're where you're struggling because if you're honest you you said that if we confess our sins one to another that you would heal us that's what your word says but God then in being honest and making that move, we find freedom and health and wholeness. God, anything that's holding us back, help us to lay it aside. We just want to run this race well. What we want to hear at the end of this is those words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we long for. So God, I pray that today you would stir that up and say, I know there's more. And God, we would stop being content in the wrong places and discontent in the wrong places, but we would be content where we should be with the things that we have, but never be content in our relationship with you because you are an infinite God and there's always more and we can always grow, we can always draw nearer. There's something more you want to reveal to, to us about yourself. So God, I pray that you would just rebuke that spirit of spiritual contentedness and you would remind us that there is more and that we would be by faith stirred up to chase after it. With heads bowed and eyes closed and there's nobody looking around. I don't, listen, I don't even know how to give an altar call in a message like this other than simply just ask you so I can pray for you because there's nothing I can do other than pray for you. But 
If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me because I sense a stirring in me. I sense God's saying something to me. I sense Him saying, I've got more for you. I've got more, but you've, you've, you've become contented with what you have and what, what I've done. And I've got more if you'll, just, if you'll just be willing to move with me. And if you sensed that stirring of His Spirit in your, in your heart today, would you slip your hand up so I can pray for you? Yes. All over the place, their hands going up. Mine's up. Even as I was preparing this, he was stirring me saying, oh, come on, come on, Dave, there's more. There's more. Oh, God, let us not grow contented with just doing church, with having good worship services. Let us not even grow content, oh, God, with being moved in our emotions by you, but, God, we want you to to work in us. Stir up that faith, Lord. Fan the flames of that faith in our hearts. Help us to lift our eyes off of our lives, off of, off of the, the petty issues that we deal with and begin to look further down the road. And even if we're older, even if we're more advanced in years, that we'd say, I know God's still got more. There's, there's a greater ministry. There's something, maybe it's mentoring somebody younger than me, but there's something I know God can use me to do. God, whatever it is, whether it's great or small, we just want to move in faith with you. I believe you've got great plans for this church. But even more than that, I believe, God, you've got great plans for each individual. You have marked out a race for us to run. And God, I pray that we would, we would run that race with our whole heart. And we'd stop trying to carry the piano on our back but we'd get rid of those things that hinder us. We'd get rid of the sin that ties us up and makes it impossible to run the race. And God, that we would run the race full of faith, which is faithfulness, and full of the power of the Spirit of God. Just have your way in us, Lord. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.